Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guest, Trevor Cobbold, former Productivity Commission economist and now the uh, National Convener of the Save Our Schools organisation. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Trevor Cobbold. Good morning, Henry. Now, we've been chatting off air for a little time, uh, Trevor. Um, there's been quite a bit happening in the papers this week down here. Schools with the richest parents raking it in. That's a headline in The Age this week. Also, lots of uh, education articles in support of the work that you've been doing. And you've got, you got some new evidence which has led to this report. You might give us uh, some background. Under the current funding, under the current Commonwealth government funding system for schools, the financial need for government funding of private schools is determined by uh, something that's called adjusted taxable income of families. Uh, the government funding for any particular private school is determined by the median family income of that school, but we've never known what that family family income is per school and I actually um, asked a, a green senator to ask a question on notice in Senate estimates last November uh, asking for the median family income of each private school and anyhow they didn't give us that uh, but they did give us the range of income for each school and so, for example, we've got, uh, we can work from the data they gave us, we can work out how many private schools have a family income or adjusted taxable income of, for example, over two hundred over $262,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And we've got the number of, we can work out the number of schools in, in different ranges, such as, you know, 235000 to 260000 so it's pretty good data. It's not exactly what we wanted, but at least it gives us an idea of how many schools are getting uh, or have a family, a median family income with a certain range. So once we had that data, we could go to each school and because previous data provided through Senate estimates gives the uh, Commonwealth share the actual Commonwealth funding per school over the next seven or eight, over the next five years. And they also give the Commonwealth share, funding share of the schooling resource standard of each school. So from all that data, you can work out the overfunding of these, these schools that are serving the richest families in Australia. And so our data, once we did all the, well, once I did all the work, <laughs> it was, it was all, all a bit tedious, but it took a couple of months to do. And the result was in the age the other day. But for example, we now know that there are 105 private schools, oh, sorry, no, I'll go back a step. There are 263 private schools in the country whose adjusted taxable income per family is over $209,000 a year. And having worked that out, we can work out how much Commonwealth funding they're getting. For example, those 263 schools over the next, over 2022 to 2028, will get nearly $5 billion from the Commonwealth and nearly 700 million of that will be over, 
overfunded even on official figures. So that's pretty valuable data and we can break that down into income ranges. For example, if you take the, uh, the number of schools that have got a family income of over $260,000 a year, there are 92 such schools. Um, sorry, I just made a mistake. The I'll go back to the the um, 263 schools with overfunding. It's actually 105 schools that are getting overfunded by nearly 700 million. But we we know there's another 127 schools that are part of system part of systems such as the Catholic system. So roughly thinking the 700 million dollars overfunding for the 105 schools is about half of what the, uh, the overfunding is. And it turns out then the overfunding for the 260 schools is roughly about $1.4 billion. That's, That's pretty remarkable stuff. Yes. It's remarkable stuff, Trevor, when on the other hand we see that uh, in every state uh, the majority of public schools are getting less than their 100% and will do so for some considerable time. Yes, I mean, this is this is a sharp contrast. Uh, you know, if, if over, over, what is it, seven years, 2022 to 2028 inclusive, if, they, if these 260 private schools are getting overfunded by about $1.4 billion and yet... Um, government schools are massively underfunded and every year at the present their underfunding amounts to nearly seven billion dollars a year a year so it's a massive inequality in our system and as i've said to, often said to people the current funding system is just heavily biased against public schools and i think you know without wanting to get into this issue right now because I, th I think you want to talk about it later but this this accounts for the shift in this largely accounts for the shift in enrolments, because mm. we know we know public schools are suffering from a severe sh shortage of teachers. They have a high proportion of teachers teaching out of field. We have poor infrastructure. We have shortages of education materials in school, which you know mm. better than me. Mm. And you wonder why people are looking for a different a different um, some better quality quality um, support yeah look you you did touch on that it's in the it's just been re uh, released in the media this week private school enrollments grow at record rates and this is obviously at the expense of um, public schools you can segue that into another topic too um, we're, we're, we've had um, reports of uh, an analysis of NAPLAN recently and as you'd know a third of all children attending uh, schools uh, are below what's expected of them in their reading capacity. And there's been a lot of talk about we need to change our teaching methods, be that as it may, Trevor, um, and your research shows this, the largest percentage of children who have disabilities and come from disadvantaged backgrounds go to public schools. And the majority of those third come from those uh, families. And... We've been banging on about this for years. How can you get those children, more of them, up to speed if you're being under-resourced compared to the elite and the independent schools who are getting overfunded? I mean, yeah, 
yeah. we're, we're yeah. getting attacked for having the wrong teaching methods, <laughs> and and yet it's 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 more complex than that by a far far margin. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean this this stuff over teaching methods, and I'm not a not a teaching expert by any means, but it seems to be almost a red herring. I mean, the impact that can make can, when you've got massive short uh, it's minimal, I would think given the massive shortage of teachers, the proportion teaching out of field and and the desperate need for better, higher quality education materials and, and infrastructure in, in public schools. I mean, that's just, at the moment, it's just a criminal neglect by government. Jason Clares came in and there's a lot of hope around his appointment as the Minister for Education and he, um, he certainly speaks a very, very heartening language and he's done some good things, Trevor. Um, this sort of data that's starting to come out on a regular basis in the media, um, I know it's speculation, but uh, how long can he... Can he resist the the need to to actually address some of those things substantially and quickly? Well, I think he's hamstrung by his prime minister and treasurer for a start, and I think the May budget will reveal how much strength Jason Clare has in the cabinet. Yes, I think the the prospects are not good in the sense that, uh, well, under we've got a bit of a signal about where the where the the government's going and that is from the new agreement well it's not actually an agreement yet. It's, a, it's a statement of intent announced between uh, Jason Clare and the Western Australian government mm. and it's about the new funding agreement that uh, new funding agreements that have been negotiated that will determine uh, all, all government funding for schools over the next five years now a really positive aspect of that was that the the Commonwealth has agreed to chuck in an extra 2.5% of the schooling resource standard of public schools in WA. So the, the Commonwealth has broken with this arbitrary limit that, that the Turnbull government put on Commonwealth funding of public schools, was always going to be just limited to 20% of the schooling resource mm. standard of public schools. So the Labor government has broken with that. So that opens up the whole field of how the extent to which the Commonwealth may increase its funding for public schools. In the case of WA, as I say, it's agreed to an extra 2.5%. That's a very positive development. But the, the hidden accounting tricks that were conjured up between the Morrison government and state governments in 2018-19 that defraud public schools of about $6 billion a year are still in the WA agreement. Uh, so, so if that, and that agreement or that statement of intent basically sets a benchmark for the other mm. states negotiating. So that, at the moment, those accounting tricks look like staying in, and that means defrauding public schools of their funding, of their entitlement. And the only excuse that they've been able to... A journalist actually directly asked the, the Western Australian Education Minister uh, about this, these accounting tricks, 
And his, his response was the classic schoolyard excuse. Oh, everyone else is doing it. It's a, it's a shocker. You know, that, that, that's, I mean, that's the standard of analysts, you know, standard of quality of the argument from the Western Australian Education Minister. You, you might like to refresh for people what are those accounting tricks because they do apply here in Victoria where this is taking place. That's right. Well, under the agreements, um, the the state governments can, can claim as part of their share of, of funding public schools, they can claim on expenditures such as uh, depreciation, school transport and uh, expenditure on regulatory authorities such as curriculum boards, uh, standards boards and so on. Mm-hmm. They can claim those expenditures again as part of their share. But the problem is when the official definition of the schooling resource standard and what would be included in its measure that were agreed by all state governments and the Commonwealth at the time, those, that that measure specifically excludes those expenditures. And as I say, that they're costing public schools a lot of money because it means that the states can substitute expenditures that are not part of the schooling resource standard but have them count towards their share of funding the schooling resource standard. So basically that agreement undermines the integrity of the measure of schooling resources. It certainly does. Now, the other topic that you raised uh, that we need to consider, and we've spoken about this before, but it's raised its head again. Um, As I noted, I think uh, one of the spokespeople for the non-government school systems came out and said, oh, this is just another attempt to whack the non-government schools uh, and parents want to exercise choice and this isn't going to help our funding and that is um, the taking away of tax concessions for donations uh, and those sorts of contributions for building funds etc which rake in many many millions for a lot of our non-government schools and nowhere near that for government schools. Yes, this this is this is the result of a draft report by the Productivity Commission that came out uh, a few uh, before Christmas, actually, mm. and basically, it, the, the the inquiries on philanthropy in general and support uh, for charities. But one part of the report focuses on tax, the tax deductibility of donations to school building funds, and basically, the commission has said that this is not an effective way of supporting private schools. Sorry, all schools, because all schools, public and private, can get that status, but it's a very minor part of public schools. It's it's a, a very... School building funds are ex, an extremely important part of private school organisations. Basically, the Commission said that the benefits of tax deductibility to so-called charities, and that's you've got to remember that private schools are regarded as charities, mm. that the tax deductibility for these school donations is does not have any net community benefit. The benefits all accrue to individuals associated with the school, mm. whether it's parents, uh, alumni, and the students. And the commission said there are no obvious net community benefits from this system. 
And also, this system was introduced back way back in the 1950s when there was no government support for private schools. And now we have massive government support for private schools and the Commission saw no, sees no need to continue this arrangement. And, of course, there's been an outcry mm. and there's a barrage of complaints <laughs> coming in. Um, and uh, I, I know one school said, oh, we'll have to put up fees. And yet, uh, <laughs> and this, this is MLC school in Sydney. Mm. And, and it's actually family income is over $260,000 a year. So if fees go up a few percentage points, you get, the hardship of these families is is, is a joke. Mm, that's a, it's a good point. Something else which has intrigued me in, as this uh, debate goes on and we're now seeing, which is interesting, more and more people going to the private school system than uh, increasing percentage numbers than public schools is that, and some of this data came out, I think you might have had some of it uh, not that long ago, that once you take into account socioeconomic background, even though they're so privileged, they're not delivering higher results academically than what the public schools are who are fighting well for many of them with one arm tied behind their backs. Well, that's, that's right, Henry. These are the results that came out of the OECD's um, Program for International Student Student Assessment. The results came out uh, at um, last December. And it's very interesting, the case of Australia. Um, and, and two points need to be made. It makes two points. One is that when you adjust for differences in the, so, the demographic profile of public and private schools, the average results of um, private schools are certainly no better than public mm. schools and in some instances are actually worse than public schools. And the other point is is that while we have commentators complaining about the decline in reading mathematics and science scores over the last 15 or 20 years, these results show that the biggest declines have been in Catholic and independent schools. Their declines have been bigger than in public schools. So you have to ask, with all this government support, what are private schools doing with their money? They're certainly not using it very efficiently. That's the only solution, only point you can get out of that is that people are wasting a lot of money on having their kids go to private schools. You Often with ornate, luxurious facilities yes. that have no bearing on their outcomes. Mm. Yes, it's a point of great frustration with us and we sort of think, I was having a chat with some people the other day about that very issue and they said, well, maybe if they funded public schools to the the, the 100% standard and put us on an equal footing, at least in that part of funding of schools, maybe we'd put the private schools out of business because that would do nothing but uh, help us uh, improve the results of those children with whom we, we work in schools. But uh, as I noticed, somebody in the papers following up on the piece you wrote yesterday said, well, with so many politicians sending their kids to private schools, why would they want to disadvantage their own children by funding public schools to a higher level? And uh, that particular writer was rather pessimistic. And I thought, gee, that's an interesting point of view, Trevor. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. There's some, 
There's some self-interest. Self-interest <laughs> yes, there was there was there was a famous um, New South Wales premier. I think it was Jack Lang, an old trade unionist. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I do follow the history of politics a little bit. And towards the end of his career, somebody said to him one day, "What's the secret to um, your longevity, Jack?" And his famous words: He was a fellow who liked to go on the punt a bit, and he was a he was a fairly earthy character. And he said, "Look." The thing I've learnt in uh, politics is, he said, always put your money on self-interest because you know it's trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, another another aspect of that is is that there's a certain incentive by state governments that if they can push more kids into private schools, it becomes a Commonwealth funding issue rather than a state government funding issue. Yeah, I, I've heard that one, Trevor, and uh, I've raised that at times over the years with our politicians. And of course, they immediately they immediately don't like that one because they uh, they make the point that they're here for everyone. We're here for all of you, and uh, yeah, they take yeah. it as an insult. But um, if you're into well, conspiracy the figure, theories, the figures, the figures show that they are not. That's not true. <laughs> that is true, and uh, yeah, it's certainly one that's crossed the minds of many of us in private conversations in the public system over a long period of time, Trevor. So, uh, But look, time's got on the wing as always. I just want to congratulate you uh, once again for the tireless work you do on behalf of uh, public education and the majority of children uh, and also the majority of children who's, who and their families are, are actually doing it tough and aren't getting a fair go in terms of resourcing uh, for their education. Uh, congratulations and as always for the time you've got uh, to, to contribute to the Viewpoints podcast. Okay, thanks very much, Henry. That was Trevor Cobbold, National Convener of Save Our Schools and former Productivity Commission economist and great advocate for public education. 